I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew is proudly sponsored by Restaurant Owner App. Restaurant Owner App is a free app designed by a restaurateur for restaurateurs. Visit restaurantownerapp.com for more. I'm Michael Ameko from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew, where we serve a weekly menu of industry commentary based on what the market has to offer. I'm Andrew Friedman from Tokeland.com. I'm Jimmy Bradley from The Red Cat. The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Uh, and we suggest you do that now, or maybe after you listen to the show, or maybe pause the show and do it now and then come back and listen to the show. Um, in any event, uh, in a few minutes, we're going to be joined uh, by our good friend Harold Dieterle uh, and possibly a special guest or two uh, by remote to have a Midsummer's rap session about chefs and fishing. Uh, but first, we want to get right to this week's big story. Uh, writer Rebecca Flint Marks, food editor of San Francisco Magazine, and herself a relatively recent arrival in San Francisco, took an unsparing look at the possible conflict of interest represented by longtime San Francisco Chronicle restaurant critic Michael Bauer and his boyfriend Michael Murphy's business enterprise. Here to discuss the piece by telephone from San Francisco is Rebecca Flint Marks, who we should also mention is co-author of The Basque Book, written uh, in collaboration with our friend and a former guest of the show, Alex Raj, and her husband and co-chef, Edder Montero. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and in special thanks always to our West Coast guests for calling in uh, early in the morning, although I know people wake up earlier out there than they do here. Um, uh, so before we jump in, I guess we should just mention this. Um, uh, you know, Jimmy and I both, not, not terribly well, but both know Michael Bauer and Michael Murphy a little bit socially. Uh, we both uh, have attended the Rosé Bowl, which is mentioned in the piece, which is a party uh, that takes place during the Beard Awards that, that uh, Michael Murphy throws. Uh, and I've dined once with both with the Michaels, quote-unquote. Um, and I should mention we did invite Michael Bauer to come on the show. I believe he's actually vacationing in Europe, uh, so uh, he's welcome to come on at a later date. All of that said, um, to quickly summarize this piece, um, which is uh, available to read online, uh, Michael Bauer's been the restaurant critic for the San Francisco Chronicle just shy of 30 years. I believe the 30th uh, anniversary of his tenure will be this fall. Uh, and his longtime boyfriend, Michael Murphy, works for a company by the name of It's If Only, which sells what I guess we would probably describe as uh, fantasy experiences or sort of once-in-a-lifetime experiences, some of which have a high uh, ticket price. And uh, for about four years now, uh, Michael Murphy 
uh, has been basically the person in charge of uh, lining up uh, culinary and chef-focused uh, experiences for If Only. Is that a fair, pretty fair way to describe it, Rebecca? Yeah, that, that just about sums it up. That's yeah. correct. So uh, the, the, the article that you wrote asked the question, and it's a pretty simple question, and I guess really probably an obvious one, how can this relationship exist without an inherent conflict of interest? Um, uh, it's a long piece. Um, it seems uh, to us to be a very balanced piece. Um, uh, but, you know, we've been sort of, we're only in our 22nd or 23rd episode here. We've had a couple of shows focused on, you know, whenever there's some kind of a pushback or um, someone taking sort of exception to the status quo in the, in the relationship between chefs and critics. Um, this one's obviously been there to be questioned for a while, hasn't really happened. Um, so I guess the first question uh, for you is pretty basic one. What, what prompted or, or uh, sparked you to, to write this piece? Sure. Well, this actually goes back um, almost two years now. Um, so I remember, uh, again, a couple of years ago, just having a conversation with a chef, a well-known chef who's been very successful. And he said, yeah, you know, there's this company, If Only, and, and I didn't really know much about If Only at that point. And he said, you know, Michael Murphy is in this position. And while the chef was saying he himself does not have an issue with them personally with Bauer and Murphy. He said, you know, I do feel this presents a conflict of interest. And, you know, he didn't say you should look into this, but I thought, well, I should look into this because maybe, you know, if this really successful chef is feeling pressured and he really has no reason to, um, then, you know, there's probably something here. And so I started asking other chefs about it, other chefs who were involved with this only, um, and, you know, when it was just very, very casual reporting, you know, people were a little more willing to actually say something. Um, but, you know, then I started getting more, you know, interested in really pursuing this as a story. That's when people <laughs> suddenly didn't want to say quite so much. But that's, that's really how it started, uh, was, was over, was almost two years ago now. Yeah. When um, you've been living there approximately two years, um, you know, it's interesting. Some of, we've we've talked about on this show. You know, there have been these some very well publicized instances where people on the restaurant side of the fence sort of push back on critics. Right? You had um, Amas Fakahani, who's Michael White's business partner in New York, wrote this mm-hmm. sort of uh, open letter to Pete Wells of the New York Times. Um, there was a dust up between uh, John Tazar and Leslie Brenner in Dallas. Um, it's it's not that usual to have a writer. Uh, kind of question another, you know, writer or fellow journalist. Um, did you have any hesitancy to do that? And was there any particular hesitancy or um, I don't know what the word is, almost uh, fear of doing this in <laughs> in San Francisco? Which you know, anyone who's familiar with the industry there or has talked to people about it or lived there, and you talk about this a little in the piece, is a very unique um, culture. Uh, around this industry and around topics like this? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess the short answer is no. I I didn't have any fear or hesitancy about it at the outset. I will say that as I got more into this, um, you know, people were like, maybe you should be worried. Uh, you know, Bauer is, you know, very powerful. And I thought, okay, you know, what let's think this through what, what could happen, you know, and I don't own a restaurant. I have no intention of owning a restaurant. I know Bauer does have many friends 
um, throughout the industry and, you know, throughout the the, journal, the food journalism industry as well. So, you know, that was a bit of a concern. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I can honestly say I felt strongly enough about this that whatever hesitance I had was sort of overshadowed by that. Um, it is it is kind of funny though because I, I would say I was really less worried about him than Murphy <laughs> himself, um, you know, just because of his reputation um, that you know many many people had described to me uh, as as being somewhat vindictive. Um, so, you know, I, I think there was on my part I, I did feel a bit of concern, but again, I was I was more just kind of like. This just has to be done. I mean, enough people have been talking to me about this for long enough that, you know, I, I need to say something regardless. So, so you felt um, almost... I guess you could say. Would uh-huh. it, I mean, is it overst- you felt, I mean, is it overstating to say you felt, I guess, a moral or at least a journalistic imperative to, to write this? I did. I did feel a journalistic imperative to write this. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I think... I think what really made me feel that, too, is that, you know, enough people didn't want to talk and enough people, you know, were being, you know, kind of like, um, yeah, fearful about about talking to me. I thought, well, if, if this many people are this afraid that they won't talk to me about one guy, you know, it's not like I'm writing about CIA secrets or child abuse in, in the church, you know, right. it's like restaurants. I was like... There's got to be there's something here, and so I, I need to keep pursuing this. Did you? So it was pretty clear cut. Did you? Um, as much as you're able, I'm sure there's been plenty of sort of personal or off the record sort of you know uh, email or phone calls or conversations made over drinks or whatever since the piece broke earlier this week. But in terms of the public response, um, I, I guess probably it's not that surprising because anytime there's anything involving. Um, uh, a critic, I think, by it's almost automatic that people in the industry are going to be, you know, quiet about it. They're going to try to kind of stay out of the fray. But I did, I was struck, you know, on um, Twitter, uh, at least on your feed. And if I, you know, did search the the, the big relative uh, relevant words for this piece, um, it seemed like a very muted response to what. You know, in most uh, cities or communities, would be kind of thought of as like a bombshell piece. Did it, does it strike you that way, or is it? Is there something we're missing from across the country here? Oh no, totally. I mean, it, it has been very, very muted on social media. I mean, the response that I've gotten from people in the industry has come to me privately. Um, it's come, you know, to my email, to you know, my phone. Uh, last night I was at a restaurant where two different staff members thanked me for the story, but they would obviously never do that in public. Right. Um, so I can't, I can't say it really surprises me that much. Um, I, I think of anything, it's just indicative of the larger issue that the story's, you know, talking about. Um, you know, yeah, I, I would say that for sure on social media, it's been more just like other media people or observers who who have said anything, but definitely not the industry itself. Yeah, what uh, you know, some people, the few people that have commented or have, like tweeted out the link, you know, there's this word that's become sort of fashionable in the last few years, uh, takedown. You know, this is a takedown. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously a really personal word. Um, I'm just wondering, do you did you think about the piece in that kind of a term as you were working on it, or? What was what was sort of the, your as you came at it? Did it feel that way to you, or did it feel just like something you were going to explore and and you know report um, as objectively as possible? 
I mean, that's a good question. You know, I I think from the beginning, I, I mean, I guess the term I always go back to is hit piece, you know, rather than take down. And, and I feel like, you know, I, I never wanted to just write a hit piece. Like, that was not interesting to me. And, and part of what kept this story from becoming a story for so long was, you know, it was, I really didn't want to write a story that was just like nasty gossip about Michael Murphy and Michael Bauer. That wasn't interesting to me. What was interesting to me was like talking about why this relationship exists, um, you know, between this critic and indirectly this company um, and why, you know, his, his boyfriend um, is able to, you know, have the relationship he does with the restaurant industry in this town and sort of like what all this kind of says about the nature of San Francisco, both as a dining town and as just a very, as a small town. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the takedown wasn't, like remotely as interesting to me as just more of an exploration of like this particular dynamic in the city. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. You just mentioned small town people who haven't, even people who have been there maybe don't realize, I think the population of San Francisco is something in the neighborhood of about just barely 800,000 people, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right. I mean, it's a very cosmopolitan city. It's, it's, uh, got a lot of landmarks, famous restaurants, famous people, um, you know, rich cultural scene. It is a, a, a it's not a really a big city the way most people think about that term. And there's this line. I know the great John Birdsall tweeted this out the other day, um, but from your piece where I'll just read this really quickly. Um, what what this is really about is a city whose impact on the nations and arguably the world's cultural a culinary culture stands in direct contradiction to its innate provinciality. Um, uh, that's something I assume that struck you in a pretty profound way as a newcomer to the city, I would expect. Uh, was it surprising to you to kind of learn this as you've been living there? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I, I think coming from New York and having visited San Francisco before I moved here, I, I had sort of a skewed vision of it as like a slightly smaller version of New York. And, of course, when I moved here, you know, that very quickly changed. And it is amazing to me, like, what a small town it is. I mean, we have, you know, tall buildings. We have a public transport system, but it is really, um, in some ways, extremely, extremely small. And then, of course, when you get into the restaurant industry, it becomes that much smaller. Everybody really does know each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was that was definitely an education for me. Yeah. I, I think it's, um, I don't know, we thought it was a really interesting piece. You know, I, I, like I said, I, I've, I've enjoyed my time with, with both Michaels. Um, I don't have anything against them personally. Um, it did seem like a piece, you know, in hindsight now, like how, how could this not have been written before? Um, so, you know, hats off to you for having the, the guts to, to write it. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I just have to say, as someone who's done some reporting on my, my own for a book I'm working on, uh, I have observed that San, and I love San Francisco, but it is a very, it's very unique in the way you're describing it. I mean, the number of off the record comments and sort of uh, people looking over their shoulder, you know, during during interviews, it, it's 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 it is sort of a an interesting, um, as you say in the piece, village uh, uh, unto itself. Um, so I'm just, I have one last question because I was struck, unless maybe I'm not searching uh, very. Um, I'm not doing a good job of searching. Has this been acknowledged at all in the Chronicle, to your knowledge? Because I didn't see anything on their on the no. on their website. No, no. It, it, uh, to the best of my knowledge, no, it, it hasn't been. I, I know a couple people there, um, so I have 
had, you know, a private conversation with one of them just to sort of gauge, you know, the reception. But no, they have they have absolutely not acknowledged this publicly, and I, that does not surprise me. Interesting. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> with that, um, thank you for calling in. It was great to have you on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, We've been talking with Rebecca Flint Marks of San Francisco Magazine. Uh, The piece we were just talking about is in uh, the current issue of the magazine, which is also available online. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Chef Harold Dieterle about chefs and fishing when the front burner with Jimmy and Andrew comes right back. The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew is proudly sponsored by Restaurant Owner App. Restaurant Owner App is a free app designed by a restaurateur for restaurateurs. Restaurant Owner App empowers you to organize your restaurant from the palm of your hand on any iPhone or Android device. Place orders, track orders, and customize supply lists to track the organization of your kitchen or storeroom. Accomplish electronically what you've been doing by hand for years. Restaurant Owner App also allows you to see orders placed by your employees, so you're always in the know. Create a personalized vendor database and review past orders at any time. It also features promotions and specials on goods and services for the hospitality trade. Visit RestaurantOwnerApp.com for more information. Or to download for free and start organizing your restaurant today, search for Restaurant Owner App in the Apple App Store or in Google Play for Android phones. Welcome back to The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew. Uh, so we are joined now in studio uh, by our friend, um, Harold Dieterle, Chef Harold Dieterle, um, who, um, I don't know, Jimmy, maybe just having done a, uh, an interview about nepotism. <laughs> this is like the wrong guess. So Harold, early in his career, well, we're not. This this might not be news, though. You know, the, the news of catching fish I was, might not I was, be the same. I was making a joke. I'm not breaking anything. Now. I was making a joke. But for the, most of our listeners, probably know this. Harold, uh, early in his career, worked with Jimmy uh, at the Harrison Restaurant, um, and then um, had three of restaurants of his own in New York City: uh, Perilla, Kin Shop, and the Marrow. Uh, currently, Harold is. What do we say, Harold? You're you're consulting. Semi-retired consulting. Semi-retired consulting. (laughs) Full-time as much as possible fisherman. And, you know, this is a show that's all about chefs and the pro-cooking trade, but I have to say, not to betray our listenership, anyone who's run into Harold since uh, he shut the restaurants, which I know was not a pleasant experience, obviously. Um, We're we're leaving, though. But you do look, um, you know, very pink-cheeked, rested, 
Happy. Light as a feather. Irrepressibly happy. Yep. How you doing? I'm, I'm great. Everything's great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here. grin again. <laughs> um, so we'll chat about what you're doing uh, right now in a little bit, but... Um, it was yeah. funny. Of course, this would be... Yes, David. Uh, sorry to interrupt. We have a special caller on the line, I believe. Oh, Excellent. we do. Is that Carrie Heffernan? Chef Hef. Hello? Carrie? Hello, can you hear me? We yeah. can hear you. Can you hear us? Uh, Carrie? Offshore fisherman. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Can you hear us? Mrs. Brody. We just got a couple of strippers. We're going to come back in later. <laughs> All's well. Okay. This is, um, that was Chef Kerry Heffernan, who's currently with Grand Banks uh, uh, in New York, or I should say just off the coast of New York. Um, uh, and we thought it'd be fun to have, uh, we invited Kerry to come on the show, and he actually couldn't come on the show today because he was fishing, um, which was the topic we wanted to talk about. But I don't even know. Kerry, are you there? No, he's. Yeah, we've lost Kerry. Yeah. Well, yeah. so it goes. Anyway, we we thought um, on what was you know it's it's been one slow news week after another uh, this summer, and we thought, well, you know, where are all the chefs? Well, there are a lot of the ones we know are are off fishing. In fact, uh, uh, Carrie, we thought we'd get him on the line from the boat, but you know he couldn't do the show because he was fishing. Um, uh, another chef we had invited, who I don't know if he'd want me to publicly say it, but he couldn't come on because he was fishing. And uh, Harold, we've got you here, uh, and we're thrilled. Um, but I was, I was fishing yesterday. Were you fishing yesterday? <laughs> and, and, and Harold and I were fishing together last week. Where, where were you? Uh, I was, we, you know, I started going offshore. We were out of, uh, we go out of Sheep's Head Bay, so that's, okay. that's where I was. Got a nice, got a nice fluke, some white sea bass. So. You know, I've been struck as someone who has a lot of friends who, who work in kitchens. It does seem to be, um, I mean, there are a couple of, of um, pursuits, personal pursuits that seem to come up a lot around the industry. Fishing seems to be really popular uh, with chefs. Um, what is it about, well, what, I mean, I'll just ask you, Harold, just you personally, what, what is it that draws you to it? And, and when you were, which is not that long ago, in a kitchen on a daily basis, uh, what kind of uh, break, uh, physical or mental, or however you would describe it, did it offer you um, from sort of your day to day or week to week grind? Sure, I, I think there's a couple a couple different ways to look at it. For me, um, you know, I, I grew up fishing as a child, so right now it always it, it's one of those things that brings me back to those those happy times as a child. Um, you know, going out fishing, catching catching a catch, and you know, cooking with my mom and 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 whatnot. You know, when I first started cooking, there was a good you know, ten to fifteen years of me, you know, working working the hours and, and, and doing the grind and, you know, I kinda didn't have time to 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 do the fishing when I was doing the six day, eighty hour work weeks. And then right. you know, I, I started to get back into it and just realized how, how for me how important it is to just, you know, to 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 just be a part of it and, and get back in there and, and, you know, rest the mind and enjoy enjoy the catch. Uh huh. And uh, how often do you manage to get out there? Right now, I'm, I'm fishing at least once a week. I try and get out once twice a week. week. He's got the good schedule. Yeah, I got, the, I got the sweet schedule. I got the sweet schedule. And for me, it's, you know, it's 50-50. Yeah, I'm, I'm out there to fish. But, you know, if I don't catch any fish, most of the time it doesn't make any difference between, because the, the real joy is being out in nature. You know, we live in a big city, and 
don't often get out there and there's something about being out on the water you know whether it's a river or just an open body of ocean and the sun setting and rising and just the rhythms of nature and then also you know rarely ever do you just fish alone so the the camaraderie <clears throat> uh, coupled with the stillness is it's very refreshing and relaxing what's it like uh, i'm not i'm not a fisherman you guys have invited me out i, I haven't I one haven't, day we'll get you one there. day i'll get out there but What's it tend to be like when you're out on the boat? Is it is it quiet? Is there a lot of is is there a lot of talking, or are you all sort of in your own little bubble? What's set the stage for me? Yeah, you know, we get. I, I generally make the sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Harold does two things: he brings the gear and he makes lunch. Yeah, the gear is a whole another con- the gear is a whole another conversation. We'll get into that. <laughs> um, it's it's very quiet. You know, it's like Jimmy said: we like to get out in nature and and take it all in, and and you know. I generally do talk a little trash with the captain because um, we're 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 competing to see who's getting the bigger fish, right? But, just but, to get the juices flowing. Yeah, just to get the juices flowing. But generally, it's very quiet. There's not a lot of nonsense and 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 chatter. And yeah, like we don't even do. When we come back and somebody will say, you know, who won the big fish, who won the most fish, like, we don't even think about that. Like, we know who did it, but we never place the bet or we never think about it beforehand. And how long a day does it tend to be out there? How long do you, on average, how long are you out on the water? It's, uh, you know, we usually do a six to eight hour trip. Six to eight hour trip. And yeah. usually I assume it's an early morning start, usually? It depends. It's the, the early morning start, yeah, we're at the boat by 5 a.m. and it's an eight hour trip. And then the afternoon we're there at one and it's a six hour trip. It is. I'm sorry. I'm being told. Do we have our carry? Chef Hef? No. No. Chief Brody? Chief Brody? Carrie Heffernan, are you there? Uh, this is ill-fated. Ill-fated, not working the good old satellite uh, phone. Carrie, we have to, you know, we got to give our... Uh, I swear he was just there. <laughs> that's okay, David. This is like that Louis C.K. thing, you know, it has to oh, go... Wait, wait, I hear... Carrie? Not happening. Not happening. Okay. Um, Carrie, if you're listening to the show, thanks for trying. We really appreciate it, but I think you should maybe get the line back in the water. And yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah, get the line back <laughs> in the water. Well, Carrie's, Carrie's also the, the founder of a, a wonderful foundation called Savage Stripers. Um, so he's, I'm hoping that he's nope, – we just, he just dropped. Uh, so I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he's releasing all his bass. Got it. Um, so, you know, people who hear about chefs and fishing, and I've actually seen maybe – an article or two over the years about, you know, chefs coming back with their catch and sort of, you know, the fantasy oh. is, oh, you guys must come like back and like cook up a storm. You know, that's, I think, what a layperson would imagine happens. What, when you guys go out with other people in your, in your line of work and you come back to wherever you're staying or to a, a campfire, I don't yeah. know, what happens with the catch? Do you, is, do you guys actually go to town and oh, yeah. cook fishing's dinner? Fishing's just half of it, you know? Fish the, is just half of it? Fishing's just the first half of it. So set the, tell us. Harold, laid it up. No, 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 no this is you. you I, you're going to make it way more romantic than I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be way more romantic coming out of your mouth. Well, again, you know, with the, the quietness and the stillness, uh, and often, you know, depending on how many varieties of fish you catch, you know, one variety, okay, several times, or many times, there's several varieties, but... But uh, I think it, it would sound something like this if, you know, I'm fishing with Harold or maybe me, Harold, and uh, Joey uh, Campanero, Little Al, are out fishing. Uh, we'll come back and, uh, you know, we'll either take some food out of the, uh, some, some produce out of my garden out back or we'll, you know, stop by a, a farm stand. And, and we should we, say we, this is and you have a place in Rhode Island. Yeah, we, we, when we, we fish in Rhode Island, we yeah. fish out of uh, Point Judith and, uh, or the Charleston area. But, you know, we go over. Our last trip was... Uh, 
this windmill farm off the coast of Block Island. Okay. Building. But anyway, so, you know, if we're, if we're going to the store, we're going to the garden. We each go in our own direction, and we don't speak to each other, and then we come back with whatever it is that we want to buy, and then we arrive home, and then we each take the fish that we have, and we each go into our own corner, and two hours later... <laughs> Many dishes appear. Uh huh. Like, what might you guys like? What? Well, you know, like, uh, let's say we caught some fluke and some black bass. So, you know, like Harold, Harold will make a nice little, you know, uh, cured fluke crudo. You know, you know, right? You know, things been out of the water a few hours. Uh, <clears throat> you know, maybe I'll do something on the grill, and Joe will do something in the kitchen. There'll always be a bunch of different raw things. There'll be some some different cooked things. Some of them are prepared pretty simply, you know, just a lemon and olive oil accentuate what it is. And some, you know, it could be a couple hours. The last time we did, I think we, we do black black fishing in the uh, fall and made a stew like a Portuguese caldo verde. Uh-huh. You know, with some, some chorizo from New Bedford and some kale from the garden and, you know, steaks of the, uh, the totog. Nice. That we just call it. Yeah. And there's no consultation amongst your... Everyone uh, just kind of goes off and... The only your... thing we talk about is what we're drinking and what yeah. we're listening to. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> and then uh, is there a certain amount of time you got? I assume you're trying to do stuff that's pretty quick, right? Like not, you're probably cooking for like, what, 40 minutes, 50 minutes? Yeah, you know, it depends. It depends if we're getting up at 3.30 the next morning or if we're not. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything is really... It's contingent upon the catch. It's contingent upon the weather. But, you know, it's it's roughly the same thing. Couple people get together. They each go in their own direction. You know, there's a lot of interaction, but there's no speak about what it is you're actually making. Yeah. And then, although it was pretty cute, we caught we caught a fish one time, and Harold was just going to town on it, uh, cleaning it up and filleting. And (laughs) Joe made a little video, a little tutorial. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I thought was really cute, but most of the time we're just you know hanging out at the house, listening to music, and busting on each other, drinking gin. Drinking gin. <laughs> Great. So when's, uh, Jimmy, when's your next outing? Uh, well, with Harold and, uh, you know, the Rhode Island team, it's uh, black fishing is in the fall, so sometime in October. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, one of our stories was we fished the uh, day before Sandy hit, uh, 2012, October 27th, and um, we caught about 90 fish without even trying put the hook in the water it felt like the hook was landing on the fish's head and they just had to look up and bite it and i'm sorry this is about my pay grade but i assume this was because of something the weather was causing yeah, i guess to... the animals know more than we know, yeah, they, were, know? they were they were stockpiling food for sure it was unbelievable wow but yeah so we'll we'll do something in october but uh then you know we each go our own ways and do different things joe was just fishing in montana you know you had a bunch of steelheads a bunch of big trouts and some rivers up there and Harold was out yesterday offshore fluking, and, uh, you know, I was in Martha's Vineyard last week, and I threw a couple hooks in the water. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a state of mind, too. It's great. Yeah. Um, so, Harold, since we have you to ourselves, uh, I mean, we would have loved to have Carrie on the line. Um, but let's, let's, can we take a few minutes and talk about this chapter in your life right now? Sure, yeah. So you, um, I'm trying to remember exactly. You closed Kin Shop and Perilla in... This uh, December in, of 15. Right before, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yep. Um, and then you you had it in your head at that point when you did it that you were going to not go right into another restaurant, that you were going to step back into a consultant role? Yeah, you know, I was having I was having the baby in, in you know, well, supposed to have the baby in the fe- end of February and then having the beginning of January. This was your first child, yeah, your first son? Child, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so, so, yeah, I was just looking forward to, you know, clearing my head and wasn't really in a, a state where I felt like I was going to be a, a terribly good father if I kept maintaining the, the work and the, the work pace I was, I, I was uh, you know, that I was on and, and also just just where my head was and wasn't terribly enjoying wasn't terribly enjoying the business at that time. Yeah, I was just going to say part of this is I mean we've seen so many stories the last couple of years of chefs some of them very well known, you know, retreating not just from New York but from other big cities um, and uh, also just, you know, somewhat walking away, Peter Hoffman, you know, yes. David Boulay. Yes. You know. Yeah. When but I mean, Harold, it's your time. Yes, Harold's much younger than these guys, um, which just means it won't be long till he's back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in terms of, there are a lot of people. I mean, there there are chefs who have gone, um, you know, from from running pretty well known restaurants back into the world of, of private chefing sure. for a period. Of, a lot of them, actually. Um, uh, and then there's con- consulting. But when you start consulting, and you know, obviously you can probably only be so specific about it. But how do you how do you start? You know, like you, you have a restaurant one day, then yep. you don't. Then you, you, you wake up in your apartment one day in Brooklyn, New York. Yep. How do you start the business? The business. How do you start? How do you get it out there? How do you find clients and projects? And and how do you convert? You know, a, a phone call or an email. A lot of people, you know, to use the fishing analogy, right? Or put a line in the water, yep. right? But it, it's one thing to have that. And it's another thing to convert that into actual paying business. Yeah, I think there's a couple, there's a couple different ways. Um, you know, first when it, when, you know, I did the, the, the interview that I was, you know, uh, closing the restaurants and, you know, that got picked up by, you know, pretty much across the board by everybody on social media and stuff. I got a lot of phone calls about what I was looking to do. Because you would, what was it? Was it Grub Street you spoke to? Uh, I spoke to Ryan Sutton. At Ryan Sutton at yeah. Eater. Yeah. And you had mentioned you were going to consult. Yeah, I mentioned I was going to consult, and I was possibly considering doing, uh, you know, kind of like a, a fast, casual version of Kin Shop, um, which I may still be interested in, but I'm still not. I'm just not that interested in in jumping back into owning a business right now. Yeah. I kind of want to let the the current state of affair and economy of of the restaurant business in New York. Get settled a little bit because I think it's very erratic where where everything is right now. Yeah, um, I think it's there's, there's going to be a lot more places closing, unfortunately, within the next couple. I would say within the next six months, but also within right. the next two three years. And you would attribute that to what across? What I've hear is cross section of the volume of restaurants, yep. the short attention span, and lack of loyalty uh, by customers. Yep. And then just the cost of doing business in, yeah, in a I, big city. I think the cost, of, you know, I think I still think a lot of restaurants are, you know, moderately to very busy. And I know, you know, I, you know, I can speak on this between seven and nine o'clock. But you know, the the finances of doing business, you know, you can't just be busy from seven to nine o'clock. You got to be busy when you open the doors to close to when you close to, you know, to make money. Yeah, yeah. What do you find yourself? I mean, as happy as you are and yeah. fishing once a week, do you find yourself missing the the, the rhythm of the rest of being? You were in a restaurant from the time you were a teenager. Yeah, from like fourteen years old, I started washing dishes. So yeah, no, you know, and you know, I was thirty thirty eight when I closed them. Is it yeah. weird not to have it that? Is. is it a relief not to have it? What's it? But it also might be too soon. You know, he's in the infatuation stage <laughs> of, 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 of uh, not being. No, under but the you gun. started to say it was weird not to have it. It, it was. It definitely. It's definitely weird. I, I mean, I definitely miss like the team, the team camaraderie of like when you have like, you know, an all star staff of cooks. Yeah, and just watching watching that go through, watching that happen every night, and like, you know, you put together dishes or you know you put together 
you know, specials as a team and everything and just watching watching the staff grow. So uh-huh. that's, you know, now I have to, the only thing that I'm watching grow now is stuff in my garden. <laughs> so it's like watching those cooks progress is, was, was, ex- was exciting for me. So you missed that part of I it. I do miss that part of that. Did yeah. it take you a while to get used to not having that place to go at a certain point every day and be there until a certain point every because a lot of people get to your level of success and become you know chef owner they're not in the you were you were in the kitchen a lot yeah i mean whenever i would meet you at night it was you were always leaving your restaurant i mean down to like the to the end yeah i i i do definitely struggle with that finding you know finding like where i'm going every day and not having you know my office is my man cave in, in you know my home in brooklyn so but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm definitely still figuring that out. And I think once I think once fall comes around and uh, my ability to go fishing uh, becomes small and smaller, especially into the winter, I, I'm probably going to get a little stir crazy. Yeah. What? Uh, so can, one of the things you've been consulting on is the AMC show Feed the Beast. Yep. Can you um, talk about what the role of a chef consultant is uh, for a show like that, which would probably be the same as a chef consultant to a movie? Um, you know, like Burnt that came out last yep. year, or the movie Chef that was out, John yep. Favreau's movie. What, what was your what was your role uh, on on that show? So I was uh, responsible on on the TV show, uh, on the current TV show, Feed the Beast. Is is kind of you know uh, doing the the kitchen choreography, all the scenes, um, trying to prepare the cooks to move like cooks, work like cooks, train train uh, train the actors on that, and then also working with the writers. To kind of, I guess you know, tweak the script a bit to make it sound like actual cooks are talking in the kitchen. And did a lot of that happen sort of on the fly or day to day on set? Or when you say like you know you look at the script, would you kind of call an audible like actually on the set? Or had, would you review scripts, talk to the writers or producers? How how did that piece of it get achieved? So it was a bit of both. Um, a, a lot of times, what would happen would be that yeah, I'd get the scripts ahead of time, I'd read them, and then uh, you know, kind of. Asked to have a meeting with the writers and then and the and the um, and the producers and ask them like what do you think will you guys let me let me go with this and then there was other times that they like felt super strongly about you know the direction of where the show was going where they they didn't agree with me right um, and then there were some times when they they had made last minute script changes that I didn't agree with so then I suggested other changes on the fly so it was a bit of both yeah and what about the physical piece like you said show people how to cook or show what what were you were you showing them everything from sort of how to how one would move around in a kitchen to to the actual um you know craft of cooking sure so it was a bit of everything um susan spongen was the, the the food stylist so she came up with the dishes that were presented on the show and in the scenes what i would do would be to take her dishes and uh, kind of task out the cooks with mise en place to make it make it seem like they were cre- recreating those dishes. Right. Um, and then they would also take um, cooking classes at uh, one of the Brooklyn culinaries. The, I don't remember where it was. The Brooklyn there's a Brooklyn Market um, that also has a cooking class cooking school in it. So they would go take classes there, and I would show up at the classes just to make sure that you know they were being instructed properly. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> How'd that go over? <laughs> uh, it was fine. You know, I mean, you know. The instructor was, you know, most of the instructors were, you know, high-level line cook, experienced, uh, you know, very entry-level cooks right. that realized they didn't want to work in restaurants. So, you know, I, I had to 
I had to veto some of their some of their moves sometimes, but for the most part, it was great to take it to what would realistically happen, like in the heat of a service. Or, yeah, yeah, correct. What uh, What about the re- the other consulting you're doing? So I don't even know if you can name places, but you're do you're consulting to actual restaurants. Yeah, some restaurants, yeah. some fast casual concepts. Um, I mean, everything is it's everything from helping someone open a restaurant to writing a business plan to doing R and D on on menu work. It's 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 interesting. It's a bit of a you know. It's different. It's different stuff for everybody. Uh huh. Yeah. And how? What's that like? You you come into different situations. You come into restaurants at different stages of their existence, right? Yeah. Some of them are places that someone. It's like a dream, right? Um, some of them are places. I assume, or 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 even if it's not the case right now, might be the case in the in the future. That work you do. Places that are struggling for yep. whatever reason. Yep. Places that are trying to catch a spark in terms of having something more marketable. Um, uh, what's it like to, uh, kind of getting plopped into all these different sort of um, um, tracks, you know, or different groups of people? I mean, each of these things must be a world unto itself. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's like, you know, I kind of compare it to like, you know, being a paratrooper. Where you're kind of like totally getting dropped into a totally different uh, scenario every single time. I think what's been most important for me, the message to get across is, you know, I, I am looking at possibly looking at this as a long term business for me. And, you know, I feel like uh, mostly uh, consultants have a really bad reputation in the business because a lot of times they, you know, they overpromise to the client and totally under deliver. And a lot of times, you know, the business is worse off after the consultant gets done with them. Um, Do you think part of that's because people just feel like they have to sort of justify their paycheck by recommending lots of stuff? No, I kind of look at it as like, you know, I don't want to get political, but, you know, it's like the, you know, the Donald Trump speech during the Republican convention where he's saying he's going to do X, Y and Z very quickly, but provide zero plan to do so. Got it. Um, And I feel like a lot of consultants do the the same exact thing where they say, like, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And. You know the the customer is sitting there afterwards, like, uh, yeah, he just you know he charged me a hundred grand, and like I got nothing to show for it, and like my business is falling apart even more. And people are receptive to that kind of promise because they're in like a really vulnerable place. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you open a restaurant and you're putting your heart and soul behind everything, and like it's not working, and you need to you know make the hard decision, and you need help, like. The fact that someone's telling you exactly what you want to hear is like is right. amazing, refreshing, and they feel like a savior. Everybody wants a bigger bang for the buck. There, there is another side to that. The, the catch twenty two on that is you're providing uh, information, ideas, and systems to people uh, in exchange for compensation, and they may or may not use it as you developed it, right. and they may use it as you developed it, and then stop using it. So, um, you know, it, it can be a little bit of the blame game going yeah. on in that whole thing. Uh, I, I always feel like the more you just say up front, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it and this is the time frame and this and that and then this is what I'm looking for from my relationship with you and this is, you know, we developed this stuff, you're going to use it, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, if you don't want to use it, don't use it. But, you know, this is, you know, this is, if, if, if you know, I'd like, I think you should use it if you're going to pay me to, you know, pay me to do it. Right, exactly. That's what I meant. Is consulting something that one gets better at over time the same way you get better at co- – Jimmy, you're nodding. But as, as, as the same way you get better at cooking or anything else, is it uh, – whether from the business piece of it or the – I mean, what are you learning as you go through this process? Well, I think the hardest thing for me certainly is not even talking about doing the job is you know going to 
owning some restaurants and constantly having people trying to sell you products or sell you a service or whatnot. And now I'm on the flip side of that, and I'm kind of you know hustling and being the salesman a little bit, right. which is something I'm very uncomfortable doing. Because you were the guy who was trying to like get ready for service when the some rep would show up with a business yeah. card and like I, walk into your dining room. I also room. just think you know, just it's a, also a, a specific personality thing, sure. Um, and it's just not really something like you know something that I'm terribly that excited about. But You're I do like want the, I do want to help people. The John right. Cusack can say anything, right? Sell anything, buy anything, sold, sell anything, bought. But you know, there is two different kinds of consultancy in the restaurant business. And they're they're wildly different, you know. They they really don't even evolve or or, or live in the same uh, uh, kind of workplace together. And that's um, you either develop something from scratch with someone, and you consult on that level, or they ask you to come in and fix something. Right. Right. Yep. The fix it up thing is you know just about the hardest thing you could ever imagine. First, <clears throat> you're walking in cold to somebody else's business, and they're not happy with it. The development thing is, you know, basically what Harold used to do for himself. I got an idea, and there's a piece of property, and okay, here we go. You know, what do we do, and how do we do it? So you can just see that they would be radically different. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and to touch up on uh, Jimmy's point about the hardest thing to do is when you have something that's not working, and you're going in there to try and fix it, and then on top of that, you have. Um, you know your your customer who you're trying to make happy doesn't want to hear what you doesn't want to make those changes because they still think that what they're doing right now has a shot to work but it's not working yeah they think you can fix their idea without messing with their idea at all but yet they hired you because their idea is underperforming for them it's it's really it's very, complex well, very, very difficult i also think if people get you know are doing what they're doing in the right way or for the right reason you know it's the way actors talk about when they go on auditions and you get rejected you're you're being rejected right mm-hmm. and i think certainly for a chef in the modern age you know, your food is personal. You know, your, your restaurant is personal. You've probably had some yearning to do what you're do- exactly what you are it, doing for years. It's true, but it doesn't translate. I tell you a funny story. I, no, no, no. But what I'm, I'm sorry. On. No, but all I'm saying is, so I think it would be hard to start moving into something that isn't necessarily where you would naturally go because. Well, it, instead of it being an extension of your personality, it's an extension of your mind and your abilities. They're two totally different things. Right. You know, when it's personal, it's an extension of your soul. You made that dish. Right. If I'm making a dish for you and not me, that's totally different. Right. You know, so and also the, lost in translation. The stuff doesn't translate. I, as a chef and not in New York, I used to make this dish. People loved it. People freaked out for it. I moved to New York. And I make the dish and the owner's like, what ever? All right, just like whatever. That's no big deal. That's I couldn't care less. Uh, we ended up not working together. I opened my own restaurant. I started making the dish again. People are like, "F yeah," you know. That's just how it goes. That's what we want, right? So, you know, in the middle, I kind of felt crappy, but you know, towards the end, vindication, right? Agreed. You agree with? All yeah, that? I mean, I totally agree. You know, just to sum up what Jimmy said recently, I did a tasting. For uh, I two t- tasting scheduled for a client I'm working with, and the first one was for his director of operations and uh, the store manager to try and, like you said, fix fix the current state of affairs of a business. And I've never had a tasting destroyed more in my career than what you know the two of them did to me. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I did the, the same exact tasting with making moderate tweaks for the owners, and they were blown away. And you know, now we're working together on a on a you know on a, a longer term 
commitment, but it's just, you know, it's, it's funny. Food is very, you know, everybody's got an opinion about food and what one person thinks is really amazing. Another person just, they might not. Right. What did uh, Calicchio say? Uh, the guest said to him, it was great, but it didn't blow my mind. <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah. Right. Agreed. Um, that, Harold, that how, do people, how do people, how do, how do, there's a way people can do, how do people find you if they wanted to find uh, you? Yeah, my website's fine. Uh, uh, www.haroldeaterly.com. com. Okay. Well, with that, uh, Harold, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks great for to see me. you. Likewise. Um, uh, we also need to thank Kerry Heffernan for his um, multiple efforts to call in from the high seas. Kerry, uh, if you're listening at some point, I'm sorry we didn't uh, we weren't able to make it work. Uh, Rebecca Flint Marks, huge thanks for coming on and talking about her piece in San Francisco Magazine. We need to thank our sponsor, as always, Restaurant Owner App. Thank you for your support. Uh, we're taking next week off. We'll be back on August 11th. And until then, I'm Andrew Friedman. I'm Jimmy Bradley. We'll see you back next time on The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.